everyone and very welcome to our service this morning um, I just want to thank John Honeyford for covering for me uh, for the last week and and taking last Sunday service I feel massively blessed to have um, both Alvin and John just to fall back on it's just a, such a, a reassurance and such a strength to me um, messy church meeting Ben asked me to announce that there's going to be a, a quick meeting in the quiet room after the service. Uh, the meeting of Kirk Session will be on Tuesday night, 14th of February, half past seven. That'll be on Zoom. Um, next Sunday, the 19th of February, we're having the worship and prayer time at half past seven. Um, it would be great to see you then. It would be lovely to see you then. Um, and we're just, we're focusing on praying for the church and praying for different aspects of the church. And the worship is, is, is great. We could put it on the screen and uh, just have our hearts chilled before God and seeking his face. Um, so it would be lovely, absolutely beautiful to see you there um, next Sunday evening at half past seven. Uh, you'll see that we're looking for help with dolls or prams for, for the creche and help with the car boot sale. Um, please see the printed announcements for some more details. I just want to start the service with John 16:33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And maybe this morning you're coming a wee bit worse for wear. Maybe you're feeling a wee bit down. Maybe you have decisions to make this week and you're not sure what to do. Um, We're coming into the presence of the Lord He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our guide. So just what I'm going to do, I've done this before with you, but maybe maybe this week you've got a hospital appointment to go to. Maybe you're worried about a member of your family, maybe ill. Maybe you're concerned about something that's coming up in examination. We're just going to do hands up, hands down, which is a simple prayer thing before we start. I want to just settle our hearts before we worship the Lord, come into his presence. And just whatever it is that you're concerned about, give it to the Lord, hands up, and let it go, hands down. Let's pray. Feel, feel, I'm not forcing you to do this now, but if you want to do it, it's a, it's a nice way of just physically surrendering your concerns to the Lord. Um, and then leaving it there, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we want to surrender um, all our concerns, all our fears, all our anxieties, because God, you, Lord, you tell us to come and leave them with you, to throw them down at your feet, and that you will bear them with us. So, Lord, I surrender everything to you. And on on folks' behalf, Lord, may they just in their hearts, just in a moment of quiet, give over to you what they're concerned about. Hands up. Lord, we want to leave them hands down. We want to leave them to you. We want to put them at the base of the cross, at the feet of the Savior who loves us and knows everything about us and wants to support and strengthen us. Amen. So we're going to we're going to sing. It's you'd almost think it was a, an Easter service this morning because it's about it's about victory. It's about the battle. It's called to battle and Christ's victory in it. So we're going to stand and sing. See what a morning.
then comes to do the children's address with the, the children. Let me just read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the word of God. Ben. Okay, boys and girls, do you want to come join me in the comfy seats up at the front? They're back. You'll be glad to hear. Come on up. Don't be shy. It's a good one this morning. Come on up. That's it. Keep coming. Oh, this is great. There's a whole lot of you today. You see, Mark, you weren't being optimistic. You were being realistic. This is great. Anyone else coming up? Is that us? That's okay. Okay, boys and girls, I have the good news to tell you that I'm going on a journey today. Ooh, that's special. And I've brought some supplies for the journey. I've brought some items to wear. So first of all, I have this here. This is a coat. Why would I possibly need a coat? Why does someone wear a coat? To stay warm. Exactly. Hold on. Imagine some music here as I struggle to get this on. There we go. Yes, a coat keeps you warm. Okay, I have another item here. What's this? Okay, I've got my lovely Banger Grammar Leavers tie. Why would I wear a tie? Anyone else? Why does someone wear a tie? Or like, where would you wear a tie? What sort of occasions would you wear a tie? School, for example, yeah, or just somewhere formal in general. You see, you wear a tie when you're going somewhere formal. Now, the last item I have, these, unfortunately, you don't get to wear very much here in Northern Ireland. But for what purpose would I wear these bad boys here? What are these sunglasses for? Yeah, yeah, you wear them in the sun. They shield your eyes. They protect your eyes. You see, boys and girls, we wear things because they reflect where we're going and they protect us. With that in mind, does anyone know what the Bible says that a Christian should wear? Who has listened to the reading? What should a Christian wear? No one know? The answer is the armor of God. The armor of God that Mark just read about. And who would normally wear armor? Yeah, people who fight soldiers. Soldiers wear armor. So in that reading, Christians are called soldiers. Isn't that interesting? Now, there were six things that we were told to wear. And the reason we're told to wear these things is because Christians have three main enemies the Bible describes. First of all, there's the devil. He was called the evil one in that reading. And he often tries to tempt us and trick us into doing things we shouldn't. Then the Bible also describes the world in general, its ideas. Jesus himself says that they are hostile to us. And the final thing that's an enemy to us that we need the armor for is actually ourselves, unfortunately. See, when you become a Christian, you're given a brand new nature, a new nature that loves God, loves the things God loves. But your old nature, your old nature that hated God and hated the things God loves, it's still in you. And it often tries to tempt you to do those old things that you used to like to do. So the devil, the world, and yourself, those three things we need to protect ourselves against so we wear the armor of God. And there were six things that it talked about, and I'll fly through them. First of all, there was the belt of truth. So you can imagine a belt around me, okay? Belts hold everything together. And the belt of truth means that when the world, the devil, and ourselves tell ourselves lies, we combat it with truth. We use truth to protect ourselves. The next thing was the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate goes around your chest area. Does anyone know what that big word righteousness means? It's a big word. Anyone know?
You know what in Chinese? That is some feat. Wow. <laughs> I certainly didn't know that. Well, the word, the word righteousness simply means to do things that are right. Things that God says are good to do those things. And when you become a Christian, that new nature you have helps you to do those things. The next thing we were told to put on was the boots of the gospel of peace. Does anyone know what the word gospel means? Anyone know what that word gospel means or what it is? Gospel literally means good news. It comes from a Greek word that means good news. And it's the good news that God sent his son Jesus to bear God's anger against our sin. So that rather than spending uh, forever in a horrible place called hell, instead we could now spend forever with God in heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Next we're told to hold the shield of faith. Now, a shield is defensive, isn't it? And we're told to have the shield of faith. What that means is that whenever the world, the flesh, and the devil are throwing lies at us, is that we say, no, I'm not relying on what I know. I'm relying on God. He is my defense. So the shield is God. The shield is your faith. The next thing was, if I can remember, hold on. I thought I'd memorized it, but obviously not. The hel- Yes, the helmet of salvation is the next thing that you wear. Because very often what the devil tries to do is he accuses you. Because even when you're a Christian, you still mess up. You still do bad things. I do bad things all the time. And the devil will say, oh, look, you've messed up. Clearly, you're not a Christian. Look, how could you do that if you're a Christian? But the helmet of salvation allows you to say, you know what? Even though I've done wrong here, I don't rely on what I do, but I rely on what Jesus did on the cross. That's the helmet that we wear. And the final thing we were told was to wield a weapon, to wield the sword. And that sword is this. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. We don't often see this as a sword, but that's what it calls itself. You see, because the world, the devil, and ourselves often tell us lies. They try and trick us into believing things that we shouldn't. But this word, this is God's word, it never changes. And that means that no matter what circumstances are changing, no matter what we're going through, we can look at what this says, knowing that it won't change, knowing that it will have the answers to all our problems. It is our sword. So just a quick recap, we had the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, doing those right things, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, that's God defending you, the helmet of salvation, looking to God, what he's done, and finally, your sword, the word of God, the Bible. That's why it's so good to try and read this and learn what it says. So boys and girls, put on the armor of God because the world, the devil, and yourself would love nothing more than to take you away from God. But the good news is that if you're a Christian here today, truly a Christian, that you will never be separated from God. He holds you in his hand and he will protect you. But also protect yourself because when we don't wear this armor, we can often get into situations that have a lot of damage and consequences. And with that in mind, we're going to sing a favorite of mine. It's called I'm in the Lord's Army, and there's some actions to it. So let's see our best actions as we march together as soldiers of the Lord. So on your feet.
Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben, and boys and girls. So, if, uh, if Sunday Club or Bible class would like to go out now, now is the time to go. And when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we give him everything. We don't hold anything back. Everything we own and everything that we are belong to him. And so we're going to have an offering now, and that is also his. We're simply giving back to him part of what he has given to us. So we're going to have a, take the offering. Um, someone come, will come around and collect your offering, but in the meantime, while we're listening or thinking about it, we're going to listen to Be Still for the Presence of the Lord and just have a time of worship, quiet worship in our hearts during this time. Lord, we give these offerings to you. They're a token of our love. But Lord, our worship is everything to you. We give everything to you. We surrender all to you. But Lord, it is our privilege. It is our blessing to be able to give a portion back to you this morning. We pray that you would use these offerings in your service, in the extension of the kingdom of God, in the work of the community, to point people to faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've seen on your television sets the, um, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which has claimed thousands upon thousands of lives. 
Um, the moderator, uh, the Right Reverend Dr. John Kirkpatrick, has put out a, an appeal. Um, let me just read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just let me read part of his letter. Earlier this week, news headlines focused on the courageous endeavour of first responders engaged in a race against time to rescue victims from the rubble of flattened buildings following a series of devastating earthquakes in southern Turkey and northwest Syria. More than 16,000 men, and I think it's increased quite significantly from then, women and children have lost their lives. Many more have been injured. Tens of thousands of homes have been destroyed. Even before these earthquakes, there were over 4 million people in need of aid in northwest Syria as a result of years of conflict. So there is immediate need for a range of vital supplies such as blankets, mattresses, warm clothing, nutritious food, clean water, medical care, and not least safe shelter in the face of what is a bitter winter. I am keenly aware that many people in our own country are struggling with the increase in cost of living, yet in the face of this unfolding disaster in Turkey and Syria, I would warmly commend this need to you. No matter how small your gift, it is really appreciated. And so we're just notifying you of that this week, and we'll have, God willing, envelopes for next week so that we can get the gift aid as well with those. Um, But I found a a short, very short video of what Samaritan's Purse are doing out there at the moment. So we're going to have a look at that, and then we're going to pray um, for the situation. With scenes like that one and with the death toll rising, rescue crews from around the world are coming in to help, and that includes here in our area. Watonga County-based Samaritan's Purse, which already has boots on the ground in the hardest-hit areas, and staff plan to be there as long as their help is needed. I'm glad our teams are out there, and uh, we're going to do all we can to help people. Disaster response professionals from Samaritan's Purse are battling freezing conditions as they provide aid in rescuing thousands of survivors from the massive 7.8 magnitude earthquake that hit Syria and Turkey Monday. It's very cold weather. I think it was in the it's in the 20s at night there. So if you can imagine being outside without a home, without electricity, without heat. Samaritan's Purse is now providing emergency medical assistance with a 45-patient bed field hospital equipped to help those injured in the earthquake. We know people's houses have been destroyed, apartment buildings have collapsed, uh, people don't have food, they don't have water, they don't have electricity, they don't have gas. Uh, we, have, we have team members at the epicenter right now. Uh, so we, we quickly mobilized and talked to them today and said, what, what needs do you see? Because we can bring in a lot of uh, emergency supply. The organization also sending in things for emergency shelter, like tents and blankets, along with clothing and hygiene kits. There's no electricity, so we'll send in solar pucks where people have some light. So we'll hit the full, the full spectrum of emergency needs that people have. Uh, right now. The aftermath of the earthquake looking like a war zone. Our team members said they're fearful of another earthquake. Uh, They're fearful buildings collapsing. Uh, Right now they're hopeless. So we hope that we can come and bring hope. We can come and bring help and we can just show that we're we're there for them and we want to help them during their time of need. And there are five to ten people on the ground from Samaritan's Purse right now. The organization expects to send another 75 to work in the field hospital. Stay tuned to WXII 12 tonight for a closer look at the rescue operation underway overseas. NBC Nightly News will have that for you beginning at 6.30. So if you would like to give uh, towards that, you can. We'll have envelopes next week and we'll leave that open for the next two weeks. Uh, So let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father, what a horrendous disaster this is. Our world is a very broken world. Lord, that in a matter of minutes, thousands upon thousands of families were thrown into grief, some losing multiple family members. 
It's horrific to think of that, what those people must be going through. We pray, Father, for those people on the ground to help. We pray for those from Samaritan's Purse and Christian Aid and Tear Fund and Open Doors, I think, are also getting involved. We pray that you would give them renewed strength as they work through the rubble, as they bring in emergency support and aid. Father, we do complain about the cost of living crisis, but some of these people have lost everything. Their homes, their families, their businesses. It's hard to take in the sense of loneliness and lostness. We pray, Father, that supplies would reach those in greatest need, despite the severe winter conditions and the disrupted communications. Make a way, Father, please, to allow the necessary supplies to get through. How the work must seem such a mammoth task, and some of the scenes must be very distressing. We pray, Father, that those who are helping, the health workers, and those, all those that are tackling this emergency, we pray, God, give them continuous courage and resilience. Keep giving them strength, Lord. Father, we pray for the grieving to experience your comfort, that they might know your peace and your arms around them. To have lost multiple members, possibly your whole family. Lord, that, the loneliness in that is just, is just self-destructive. It's awful. Father, may they know that you are close by them, even in such suffering. <laughs> may you give them strength, and may they be assured of you bringing them through this. We pray, Lord, that the injured and traumatized may know healing. And we pray for those from the National Synod of Syria and Lebanon as they support congregations in northwest Syria. There's bound to be a sense of helplessness amongst pastors and workers and elders, but help them, Lord, to bring some sort of perspective and comfort to these poor folk. Father, please bring their congregations peace in such a despairing situation. And now we pray, Lord, for ourselves, but we'd like to pray also on behalf of those who are suffering there, who maybe at the moment can't pray. Their world has fallen apart and they can't pray. So we would like to pray on their behalf, Lord, as we pray for our brothers and sisters out there, maybe pray the prayer that Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Give us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing before the throne of God and above. And I was just, I was thinking during the week something that I hadn't thought of for many years. I used to, as a young lad, think, let's worship the Lord for who he is. Not necessarily for what he's done. That is worship. You know, we should be doing that as well. But if somebody loved me because I just gave them a Christmas present that was a good Christmas present or give them of my time or whatever. But the, the actual character of God is worth praising, is worth blessing him for his faithfulness and his love and his patience with us and his kindness and his forgiving nature. You know, yes, we want to thank him for Jesus and for what Jesus has done for us. But sometimes we can forget to thank him and love him just for who he is. Let, let's stand and let's, let's worship God and worship him for who he is as well as for what he's done.
Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for that relationship that through him we have now with you. Help us to protect that relationship, to fight for that relationship, to fight to keep it fresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 uh, to 12, just a couple of verses. Paul writes, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Let me just remind you of what we're looking at just before I went on on my break. Uh, There, First of all, Christianity begins with sitting. Christ, having finished his redemptive work, he goes and he sits at his Father's right hand side. And when I trust Jesus Christ, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, well, I'm, I'm joined to him. I abide in him. He abides in me. Where he goes, I go. I was crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, and now I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And as Watchman Nee writes, he says, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Christ has already done what I needed. My sin has been dealt with. My salvation has been paid for. And as I receive Christ, I sit and I enjoy what he has done for me. And and we continue in that seated position our whole lives beside him, Throughout our lives, the Christian life starts when you give your life to Christ and then when it finishes, when you go to be with him, and then that's a whole new chapter. But from the moment you give your life to Christ to the time you go to be with him, life is invo- involves total dependence, total dependence on him. We sit and we receive and we enjoy what he has done for us. Now, walking, that was sitting. Now, walking, walking is the outworking of that heavenly position here on earth. Paul says, walk worthy of the calling, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, walk as children of light, chapter 5, verse 8. He says, love others as Christ has loved you. It's about walking worthy of him down here. But Paul's third command, which we're going to have we look at today in Ephesians, is to stand. Stand your ground. I watched a documentary during the week about Hitler's attempt to try and take Stalingrad in the Second World War. The Germans were pounding Stalingrad, throwing everything they possibly could at the Russian people. Uh, They started off with 4,000 planes dropping thousands of tons of bombs on Stalingrad. The the city ended up looking like a, a scene from a movie depicting the apocalypse. The people's backs were against the wall. The Germans bombarded them for weeks on end. Stalin then, who didn't want to lose the city, because his, particularly because his name was in it, he ordered that no one leave this city. It was an order. His order was to stand fast. His order was to take not one step back. Defend, defend, defend. It's been described as the most brutal battle in the Second World War. The carnage, the bloodshed, the loss of life. Stand fast. Stand fast. Paul gives us, in Ephesians 6, a new perspective from how we normally view the world. We see the evil in the world. We class people like Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and even recently Putin 
and we class them as evil men. You know, we, put the, we, we, we look at the bitterness in our communities and we put it down to a certain group of people. It's their fault. And Satan, of course, uses people. But Paul gives us a new perspective when he writes in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, from this one verse, we can draw three things. One, the struggle is supernatural. Number two, the struggle is personal. The word wrestle here indicates a hand-to-hand combat. Number three, the struggle is futile if fought in our own strength. And so the number three, I really want you to take home with you. The struggle against the enemy is futile if we fight it in our own strength. I was thinking about this during the week. Is there anywhere in Scripture that shows more clearly our need for prayer? If this struggle is supernatural, if this struggle is personal, if this struggle we can't fight it in the flesh, is there anywhere in Scripture that shows us more clearly and more defined than this verse? We need prayer. You know, rulers, authorities, scriptural forces of evil— It indicates a vast organized hierarchy. It indicates a a disciplined chain of command of evil that's going on. But then the next verse, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand In the Greek, the word stand has the preposition against after it. So it's stand against, hold your ground. Hold your ground. Take a hold of your relationship with Christ and don't let it slip. Don't let it become apathetic. Don't let it become dry and cold. Don't let it become religious. Hold your ground. But how do we do that? I want to look over the next couple of weeks. Um, I grew up not fully understanding what this meant, and I honestly haven't ever heard a preacher go into this in any depth. It's usually a one-liner. You know, the picture of a Roman soldier's armor, which was relevant back in the Roman Empire when the Roman guards and the Roman soldiers were passing your door every day, it was relevant then, and it's not so easy for us living today to grasp what it means by the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. What we really need to know as Christians is how do we wear it? How do we use it? Because if it is true that the enemy is out to pull us down, to get us to lose our faith, to discourage us, to come against us again and again and again. We need to know that these are not just we devotional thoughts that we can stick in the back pocket of our trousers and carry around with us. We need to know how to wear these things and how to use them. So I hope that you will come with me as we explore this very important aspect over the next couple of weeks. Stand your ground, says Paul. But how do we stand our ground? Well, it's definitely not by going on the offensive. Paul is adamant about that. It's not about us taking ground. It's not about us declaring war on the enemy and coming out to fight him. Our warfare is mainly defensive. Nearly all of the weapons that are mentioned by Paul here, all of the armor, it's defensive apart from one. And that's the difference between the warfare waged by Jesus and the warfare waged by us. You see, his was offensive. Ours is defensive. 
Paul in Colossians 2.15 writes that Christ disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, Satan got the shock of his life when Jesus walked out of the tomb that Sunday morning. Death no longer victorious. Sin conquered. Territory which Satan once held was ripped from his grasp and set at Jesus' feet. Jesus' battle was offensive. We're told that he set his face like flint. He walked to Jerusalem. He walked to the cross. He walked out of the tomb victorious. And when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, as I've said, we are part of him like the vine, John 15. We are part of him. He is part of us. Where he goes, I go. He abides in us. We abide in him. Crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, And now from Christ, we have the power to live for him and to hold the ground, to stand fast. In verse 10, Paul writes, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. His mighty power, not yours. In this cost of living crisis, there have been many strikes so far. There's been nurses and ambulance strikes, staff, teachers, rail strikes, post office staff going on strike. And it takes me back to when I was a child and we had had strikes within what was then the Northern Ireland Electricity Board. When I was a child, I used to love it when all the lights went out. (laughs) I loved searching for the candles and getting the candles on and taking the candle up to bed and all. And it it was great. I loved it. But, uh, you know, today, though, there are so many things in our homes which depend upon electricity that without it, life would almost come to a standstill. Things which you take for granted, our TVs, our cookers, our fridges, our fridge freezers, our computers, our internet, our phones, our dishwashers, our microwave ovens, not to mention the lights throughout our whole house. Yet cut the power, and we're in serious difficulty. And that's what Paul is saying here. Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Connect to the source of his power, Christ himself. Let me remind you of those three points again. One, the struggle is supernatural. Two, the struggle is personal. Three, and I put a massive big asterisk at this, the struggle is futile, is fought in our own strength. We cannot fight the battle in our own strength. It's like having all the lights go off. Without tapping into the power and the strength of God, you're like a small frightened boy who's standing alone in a very dark and lonely forest. Be strong. In who? In the Lord. You know, we're empowered by his strength. And it's great to know that for every power of Satan's attack, defensive armor has been given, provided, for us. And we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. Put on the full armor of God. It's a real armor wrought on the anvils of heaven that will protect us if we're willing to wear it and learn how to use it. Whose armor is it? It's God's armor. It's not something that we put together out of bits and pieces from the garage. This is a proper armor that God has given us and we need to understand how to use it, um, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword, and the seventh item, which Paul adds, which isn't actually part of the armor, but he adds um, that it underguards everything, and that's prayer. Do you know what? I was thinking about this. Um, you know, any church I go to, I think it would be honest to say 
that the biggest struggle that Christian folk have is prayer. I was in with Maureen Greer yesterday. She was having a laugh because I said, you know what? Prayer is like broccoli. It's like broccoli because nobody likes it. But you know what's good for you? And the thing about it is there is a mental block that we have when it comes to prayer. We struggle with it. But whenever we start to worship the Lord, and whenever, whenever we break through that mental block, we can come into deep communion with God and with Christ that we were created for. It's what we were created for. And the enemy wants to keep us away from that. But um, before you leave today, it's, a, it's important to be assured and reassured um, that although our enemy is powerful, God is massively more powerful. Our enemy is finite. Our God is infinite. It's important to realize that although our enemy can cause us grief, he's a defeated enemy. Our enemy knows the clock is ticking and that his time is coming. Be assured this morning that our enemy's power is no match for God's power. No match. And it's all because of Christ's saving work, his liberating work on the cross, his triumphant exit from the grave, and Satan's jaw drops as he walks out. Death couldn't hold him. And as a result, Satan and his minions are under Christ's feet. Christ will have the final word. Paul writes, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. It's actually a passive imperative. It, It reads like this. It reads, be made strong in the Lord. Find your strength in him. Favorite verse of mine especially since I've had AME for about 20 years. But a favorite verse of mine in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, this is not a comfortable verse. This is, uh, this is not a comfortable verse because it forces us to recognize our weaknesses. It forces us to recognize our limitations. It forces us to trust him in our weakness, which we're not always wanting to do. My grace is sufficient for you. If you're going somewhere this week to the hospital or to a family member and it's breaking your heart and it's hurtful and it's hard because you hate to see anyone suffering, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you because it's in that point of weakness that my strength begins to come through. I want you to get that so much. You know, sometimes it's important to embrace our weakness because sometimes it's in our weakness that God is working the most. And we can miss what God is doing because we only see our limitations while God sees the possibilities. Gideon's story, it's one of the most uncomfortable stories. It's good to have a good uncomfortable story in Scripture, one that you feel like shouting at God at and one that you feel like shouting at Gideon. You know, but it is, it's an uncomfortable story if you put yourself in it. The Midianites, they'd been a thorn in the flesh of Israel for years, years. And fear of the Midianites had been hanging over everyone, so much so that Gideon, he's busy threshing the wheat underground in the wine press. How unhealthy and how dirty and just bad for your lungs, that. There's no ventilation. But he didn't want the Midianites, to see what he was doing. So he was, everyone was frightened of these boys. So when God chooses Gideon to put together an army to fight them, Gideon feels weak and he feels insignificant. Oh Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest. I'm the least in my father's house, the least. 
And God assures him, God assures him that he'll be with him. Eventually, after a couple of fleeces, Gideon's convinced and sets about gathering an army. Now, Gideon, he must have felt really chuffed and really pleased with himself when 32,000 men turn up. That's incredible. That's just brilliant. But God says to him, no, 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 Gideon, Gideon, no, 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 no. It's too many. It's too many. And so uh, God says to Gideon, listen, tell them, if they're frightened, if they're homesick, they can go home and don't worry about it. They'll not be seen as deserters. If they want to go, let them go. So 22,000 had it away on their toes. They take advantage of this offer and they head off. And I'm sure Gideon's looking at them and thinking, please don't go, please don't leave me, please don't. 22,000 men are gone. So he's left with 10,000. So he's probably thinking, well, it's still a good army. We better train and we might, might survive all right. And then God says to him, no, 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 Gideon, it's, it's too many. It's too many. He says, go and uh, take them down. I want to see how they drink from the, the river. It's a strange sort of interview recruiting process, you know, to, to choose someone because of how they drink. But but 300 of them bend down and scoop the water in their hands like that. And God says, that's the man I want to keep. That's the man. Those 300 men. Give everybody else their P45 and send them home. And so they've got 300 men. And God says, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. And God did as he said he would. Very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. Indeed. Trusting God can be very uncomfortable. But sometimes knocking us back is the only way that God gets us to trust him. Where we recognize our limits, where we recognize our weakness, where we recognize that what God is even asking us is humanly impossible. But it's the kingdom of God's way of working. That's the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God doesn't work by dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It works by faith. Its motor runs on faith. Total dependence on God. Dependent on a God to whom nothing is impossible. Let me remind you again those three points. Struggle, number one, is supernatural. Two, the struggle is personal. Three, the struggle is futile if I fight it in my own strength. Falling back on God is uncomfortable. Incredibly uncomfortable, but it's necessary. It's how the kingdom of God operates. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Don't fight weakness. Don't let weakness break you, but rather embrace it. It, because it can be God's chance to fulfill his possibilities in your life. The cross is a perfect example. Where the, where the battle is won at the cross, how's the battle won at the cross? It's won through weakness. Without Jesus surrendering to weakness that Good Friday, Trusting that God is greater than the enemy death and greater than Satan himself. Without that surrendering of his spirit, without that place of surrender and weakness, allowing himself to be swallowed up by death, none of us would be here this morning. None of us would know salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we just... We want to have that perspective, God... Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Lord, you are untouchable. And Lord, we are like ants, but you love your ants. You love us, Lord, just the way we are. You love us, and you sent your Son for us. You're a big and massive God. Why would you care for us? But you do. We don't understand it. 
But we thank you for your patience with us, for your grace with us, for your faithfulness to us, for your strength every day for us. We don't understand it, but we're grateful of it. Amen. We're going to finish um, our service this morning with stand up, stand up uh, for Jesus. be seated a wee minute. We're just going to finish uh, with a benediction, uh, but rather than me you becoming familiar with me saying it every week, um, we're going to listen to a song. It's going to be sung in ben- the benediction, and then we can go. Oh, there'll be a wee cup of tea. If you, uh, and any visitors that would like to stay, please please feel very welcome to that. But let's, let's think about this benediction um, and reflect on it and go home with a, a buzz in our hearts. Receive His grace. 
love on me In spite of all our differences May your words be filled with light That crumble walls of fear and white